Let me talk to you a few minutes about, and I'm going to be talking, you know, over the next uh, few weeks probably about what God is really raising us up to be here and, uh, and, and what this is an expression of and different aspects of it and, and, and uh, the personality of what God is raising up here. And uh, let's, uh, let's go to Isaiah chapter 56. I just want to read a few verses of Scripture. And uh, we're going to trust that um, you'll be able to connect with some things that the Lord is really putting on our hearts here. Isaiah 56, 1 says, Thus says the Lord, Keep justice and do righteousness, for my salvation is about to come and my righteousness to be revealed. Blessed is the man who does this and the son of man who lays hold on it, who keeps from defiling the Sabbath and keeps his hand from doing any evil. So when, when, you read, when you're reading through these Old Testament prophets, uh, etc., and, and it talks about keeping the Sabbath, the New Covenant application of that is you don't do things in your own strength, in your own power. You enter into rest. You allow God to do the work through you. He's not looking for a whole lot of our sweat and toil and effort to make things happen for the kingdom. He wants to inspire it. He wants to empower it. He wants to engage in you in the process. That's where the Holy Spirit comes in. Because the kingdom of heaven is not built, the kingdom of God is not built with human hands. It's built by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so there's a lot of good ideas, but God wants to give you inspiration for what he wants to do through you. And then he wants to empower you to do it. And it's, it's almost like you're, you're allowing the Lord to do something through you and you get to watch what he does. Because he's literally doing the work. If you, do, if you do it in your own strength, you'll wear yourself out. Some of us can attest, testify to that because we wanted to serve the Lord so much, we did so much in our own strength that we did wear ourselves out. Uh, and that's not how we serve the Lord in the kingdom. We come into a rest. In uh, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 10, said, He who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. And so the Lord... Uh, worked for six days and he rested. He didn't rest because he was tired. He rested because he was done. He had created everything that needed to be created. Man entered into rest his first day. Because man was created on the sixth day. His first day was the day of rest. So our, our job one is to come into rest in Christ. And to allow him to do the work through us instead of us thinking that we have to roll up our sleeves and try to make everything happen by human effort and by our own good ideas. Amen? So he who has entered his rest has himself ceased from his works as God did from his. So God will build his house through us. Not by our vision or our intelligence, but by his inspiration, by his revelation. Uh, so, so back to Isaiah 56, verse 3. Do not let the son of the foreigner who's joined himself to the Lord, speaks, saying, the Lord has utterly separated me from his people. And I think that should probably, the his was added by the translators. I think it should probably uh, be translated, my people. Do not let the son of the foreigner say, the Lord has utterly separated me from my people. In other words, poor me. Here I am serving the Lord, and I'm completely abandoned and separated from my own people. 
He said, don't, let, don't do that. Nor let the eunuch say, if you don't know what a eunuch is, a eunuch is a neutered man. Here I am, a dry tree. Now, I wasn't going to tell this story, but I will. It's, it's kind of funny. But when I was a young believer, I was reading through Scripture one day in Matthew 19, where Jesus is talking about how he gets into the whole issue of divorce and remarriage. And then he said, some, uh, some men are born eunuchs. Some, make of them, some are made eunuchs by men, and others make of themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom. And I'm, well, uh, so I'm reading through that, and I'm like, That's, that'd be pretty serious. And then I heard the Lord say, I want you to be my eunuch. I'm like, what? Lord, that's pretty serious. And it, but it hit my heart. I knew it was the Lord speaking to me, and I'm like, oh, my goodness, what does this mean? So after I struggled with this thing for a number of days, and finally I told my wife, I said, Lord's telling me he wants me to be his eunuch. And he, she said, what? What does that even mean? I said, I don't know. I don't know if something was going to happen to me. or I didn't, I didn't know. And, but, I, I, but it was a real battle that I, that I had to go through. And finally I surrendered. I said, okay, Lord, I'll be your eunuch. And peace came. And I really didn't hear any more about it. But what I recognized afterward was the Lord was asking permission to cut selfish ambition out of my heart. Because that's what it represents. That you're always going to be trying to work an angle to, to further your own ends, to, to, to serve your own selfish ambitions. Uh, the Lord wants to be able to remove that from our heart. That's what being a eunuch actually represents. A eunuch in, in the king's family was the one who had charge of the king's harem and his treasury. So a eunuch could be trusted with the king's wives and children and could be trusted with the king's treasury. Why? Because he'd had his own selfish ambition cut out of him. That's what it represented. And so there are those who have made a level of commitment to the Lord where they've laid down their selfish ambitions and they say, they've said, Lord, I want to serve you. My greatest joy is in serving you. I don't want to serve myself the rest of my life. I'm giving myself to you as a bondservant. And, 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 the, and the Lord says, is speaking to them, and he said, to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath, who, who come into the rest of the Lord, and choose what pleases me and hold fast my covenant, even to them I will give in my house and within my walls a place and a name better than that of sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. What could be better than being a son or a daughter? How about a bride? Jesus is going to have a bride that's selfless. Jesus is going to have a bride that's had selfish ambition removed from her. Jesus is going to have a bride who lives for one thing. And that is to pursue him, to passionately love him, to be in his presence, and to become like him. That's what he's looking for.
Verse 6 says, also the sons of the foreigner who join themselves to the Lord to serve him and to love the name of the Lord, to be his servants. Everyone who keeps from defiling the Sabbath and holds fast my covenant, even them I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in the house of prayer. I will make them joyful in my house of prayer. House of prayer is supposed to be a joyful place. Why? Because the presence of the Lord is there. Then he said, Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. Now, Michael Miller, who's uh, the pastor at Upper Room in Dallas, says that what, what that really is signifying is a house of worship. Because the kind of prayer that happens in the presence of the Lord always happens in an atmosphere of worship. And so worship is the backdrop for everything that happens in God's house. It's what he's calling this place to be, is the Father's house. And you're going to hear me referring to this more and more as the Father's house. And I'm not even talking about the physical structure so much. I'm talking about the gathering place of God's people. We're gathering together in the Father's house. And things are going to break out. People are going to get healed. People are going to get saved. People are going to get delivered. That's just going to be normal. It's not because the revival's breaking out. It's just because that's what happens in the Father's house. Let, let, me, let, let me refer to the revival thing a little bit. We've had many revivals from the early 1500s until now. All of them lasted for a specific period of time, and then they ended. Why is that? I think almost every one of them maybe it is every one of them, thought their revival, their move of God, would result in the return of Christ. So none of them really had a long-term vision. And, and what I've heard the Lord say to me is, I want to give you an eternal vision. I want you to get your vision from the future, not from the past. And the, and the, the vision that he has for us is this is the Father's house. And the Father's house is an eternal place. It's not something that just hosts a revival and then it's over. But it's something that's an ongoing work of God preparing his bride in our midst. Of the Lord, of Jesus romancing his bride, loving on her, setting her free, raising her up to be powerful, and sending her out to, to uh, reap a powerful harvest in the nations of the world. My holy mountain is an elevated place where we come to worship, where we enter his house, and where earth and heaven meet. And we've been, we've been more and more conscious that, that heaven really invades this place as the body of Christ comes together to worship. There's things that happen when the body worships together that don't happen when we're all separated from each other. This, this is a really significant event. There, there's a reason why the enemy tried to shut down the body of Christ from corporate worship. Because something happens when the ecclesia, that's the Greek word for it, gathers together. When, and, and it, that, that there's an authority that's released here that none of us carries alone. It, it's, it's the, it's, heaven is holding court here on earth. 
The decisions that we make under the inspiration and the revelation of the Holy Spirit when we meet together are binding that heaven honors and backs up. And, and I'm not going to go into all those scriptures, but it's very powerful. And, and none of us have all of that authority on our own. So the things that the Holy Spirit ministers to us as a body when we meet together, the things that we agree on, the things that we bind, they're bound. Heaven backs us up. The things that we release, they're released. Heaven backs us up. Because it's a significant thing when, the, when Jesus' body comes together. When he said two or three are gathered, I'm there, you know, that was more than a formula. That was a reality that happens when his, the pieces of his body come together and the life of Christ begins to flow through that body. The foot begins to walk. The hand begins to serve. The heart begins to beat. The mouth begins to speak. The ears begin to hear. The eyes begin. I mean, it's, it's a beautiful thing as we begin to really recognize the different parts of the body and how they come alive as we come together in worship. And that's going to become more and more real to us. As we join in worship, God's presence encounters us in a special way. The business of heaven is done in our midst. Jesus is revealed. Now, I can stand here and tell you about Jesus all day long, but it's not going to impact you like Jesus revealing himself to you. And so Jesus walks among the lamps in the inner court. And he reveals himself as the, the oil of the Holy Spirit flows through the lamps in the lampstand. That's the church. Vision and inspiration is released. Hearts are healed. Joy washes over us. And we offer the best of what we have to the king. So the, the Lord was drawing me to several scriptures for the last while and, uh, and just giving me more and more hunger to understand what they were saying. But I felt like he was showing me that the wise men who came to Jesus were setting a precedent for something. They didn't come to take they came to give. They were, they were, their hearts were hungry for truth. And so the Lord showed them light. And light led them to Jesus. I had a vision of a portal over this place. And it was, it was enlarging. It was getting bigger. A place where, where, where heaven and earth are, where there's an opening and, and and we experience heaven in, in, in this place. And, and uh, people come into this place and they encounter the presence of heaven. But I saw these lines of light going out. And I knew that each of those lines of light were an invitation to hungry people to follow the light and to come encounter Jesus here. And that's happening. And I really felt like those wise men, they were, they were probably magicians, magi is the old English word. Uh, they were probably astrologers, magicians, whatever, uh, from eastern lands, maybe from Iran, um, Persia. Uh, but they had a hunger for truth and hunger for life, and so the Lord directed them to come and find Jesus. And when they came, they came to bring their treasure. It doesn't say how many there were, but they brought three specific different kinds of gifts the gold and the myrrh, the frankincense. 
And, and, and then... In uh, Revelation 21, 23 and 24, it says the city, it's talking about the city, New Jerusalem. And it says, The city had no need of the sun or the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is its light. And the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light, and the kings of the earth shall bring their glory and their honor into it. The kings of the tribes of the earth. Now, when we think of kings, we think of people who sit in palaces or, or, or whatever. But actually, the kings are those who are the leaders of the tribes. You know, and, and each of us come from a tribe. Some of us might come from two different tribes. <coughs> but there are those that God's anointed as leaders of our tribes. And, and, and what he's asking us to do is to bring the treasure, the best that we have, into his house. And the wise men really set the pattern for that. But it's continued in Revelation 21, where the kings of the earth bring their glory and their honor into the city of God. Every tribe that, that, you, that we represent, uh, you know, some of us come from uh, the, the Amish tribe or Mennonite tribe, or some of us may come from uh, an Italian family, uh, some of us may come from whatever family, whatever our tribe is. You know, when we when we go to Peru, we minister to a whole different to a number of different tribes there. But every tribe has treasure, and Jesus wants the treasure that's in every tribe, the best of what you have. And I'm not even talking about money. I'm talking about what the 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 grace that you carry. The, the, the skills and the talents that you have, the grace that you have that makes you different from every other tribe, the Lord wants you to bring the best that you have into his house, into his city. I was talking to, uh, I saw Jack's post this week, and he was talking about that, that he makes really good chili. And I, and I told him, I sent him a message, I said, let's talk. The Lord has need of some really good cooks. Whatever makes you come alive, whatever makes you excel, whatever, you know, I'm kind of proud of this. I'm actually better than this than most, but that's the treasure that God wants you to bring to him. The best that you have, the best that you are. And that's what this place is to be, a place where people bring, uh, don't they, where, where people, and I know there's broken people that are hurting and needing and all of that, and so it, we, we need to minister to hurting people and help them in their need. But something is shifting where the primary focus that brings people to the house of God is not what they need, but what they want to give, what they want to bring. Lord, I want to honor you with this. This is the best that I have. It may not be much, but it's the best of what I have. What an amazing place this will be. It was that kind of heart that the Israelites had when they brought all the materials together to build the tabernacle. All of them brought their treasure. In fact, I was reading, was reading in Exodus this past week about that. And I got to the chapter that talks about the different metals that they brought into the tabernacle. 
There were three specific kinds of metals. There was gold. There was over a ton of gold in the tabernacle. Can you imagine? There was silver. There was over four tons of silver in the tabernacle. And there was bronze. And bronze was like, I think, like three tons, two and a half or three tons. And the bronze was in the outer court. Bronze represents judgment. You know, our, our flesh comes under judgment in the outer court. Jesus was offered up for us in the outer court, so to speak. Bronze represents judgment. But there was more silver than there was bronze. Bronze represents redemption. There's more redemption than there is judgment. What an... What a revelation of the mercy of God. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Thank you, Lord. I mean, it really hit my heart when I saw there was more silver than bronze. There was more redemption than there was judgment in God's house. Mm. Good stuff. Now I forgot where I was going. It was good. I was, we were bringing treasure. That's right. We're coming to bring the best that we have. The bre- what, what an amazing place the church would be if everybody came to offer the best of who they are. Lord, somehow, I, I know that you've blessed me in this area. I know that I have a gift in this area. I'm coming to give my gift to you, whatever it is. I want to offer to you the best that I have. Wow, that's, that's happening. <clears throat> Matthew 21, 12 says, Jesus went into the temple of God and drove out all those who bought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. Now, I know there's an application here that, you know, we are the temple of God. And Jesus comes in and he's jealous to cleanse his temple. And so he, he drives out those things that have set up shop in us. You know, those things that did not glorify him. Those things that enslaved us to other things. Those things that led us into brokenness. He drives those things out because he's a jealous Lord of the temple. And he wants us for himself. There's also an application of uh, when people turn God's house just into a money thing. The Lord is jealous for that. He doesn't want money to be the primary focus in his house at all. And, and so he doesn't want it to be about that. He wants it to be about uh, his presence and serving him and giving glory and honor to him, not just making money for somebody. He said, it's written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you've made it a den of thieves. So we are definitely in a time in our culture, I believe, of Jesus cleansing his temple. There's a lot of that going on right now. But it says in verse 14, Then the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he, he healed them. When our focus shifts from what we want to take to what we, want to, what we can give, God releases healing. God releases redemption. God releases new beginnings to people who need new beginnings. I was so touched. I'm not going to mention any names, but there was a couple, couple of guys here last weekend that met at this altar. These guys had every reason not to like each other. 
every reason to be enemies. And instead, they met right here, and they became friends. And the Lord began to release healing. And, and, and they went out to lunch together, and they spent time together. And God healed what was a huge potential for a rift between them because of some really hurtful things that had happened. That's what the Lord wants to do. He wants to heal not only bodies. He wants to heal relationships. He wants to heal minds and hearts. But when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple and saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant and said to him, Do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, Yes, Have you never heard out of the mouths of babes and nursing infants you have perfected praise? There's a lot of freedom here for children to worship, both both in the natural and spiritual children to worship. And I I just rejoice over that because we value that. We want people to experience freedom in the presence of the Lord. We, we, don't, we, we want an atmosphere of freedom. We'll shepherd so things don't get unhealthy and get weird and all of that. But we want our children to rejoice and to look forward to the presence of the Lord. Not to say, oh, do I have to go to church again? It's okay to have fun in the presence of the Lord. Amen? It's okay to, to encounter things that make you excited and looking forward to to the day that we gather together for corporate worship to be the most exciting day of the week. That's what we want for our kids. We want them to grow up with that. I'll tell you what, one, well, never mind. I'll not go there. Worship is the atmosphere of the Father's house. Freedom and joy fill the air. Jesus said in John 14.1, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. Literally, in my Father's estate are many dwelling places. There's room for everybody. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. So Jesus is creating a place just for you, just for every one of you. And, and, and don't think that it's all about after you die. He's creating a place in his house for you now. There's room for you now. There's a place that's being formed and created for you to come fully alive. A place where you become animated by the power of the Holy Spirit, by the presence of the Lord. Where you can become all that you were created to be. And then he said, if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you to myself, so that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way you know. He said, you know where I'm going, and you know how to get there. You know where I go, it's to my father's house. And you also know the way, it's me. That's what he was saying, I'm the way. So the path, anyway, so Thomas said to him, verse 5, Lord, we don't know where you're going, and how can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, 
and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So the path and the destination are revealed in the patterns that he's given us. Follow the triple patterns. Can you think of triple patterns in Scripture? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The tabernacle of Moses said, outer court, inner court, holy of holies. It's a map. The wilderness journey. Egypt, wilderness, Canaan. It's a map of our spiritual journey. Temple of Solomon, again, outer court, inner court, holy of holies. So all of these are revealed through the patterns that he's laid out for us in Old Testament Scripture. It's, it reveals our spiritual journey. And the, and the spiritual journey in our time probably is most clearly revealed in, in the journey from Egypt to Canaan and in the journey from the outer court to the Holy of Holies in Moses' tabernacle. Because Moses' tabernacle speaks of the age that we're living in where the church is a mobile body. It's not established just in one place, but it's a mobile body that he can, that moves with the cloud, that goes where he sends us. We can move to the nations. We can, we can relocate at a moment's notice and be sent wherever he wants us to go. But don't forget that there's also an application of the tabernacle of David. In other words, don't get religious about it and set up all these hoops that you have to jump through or that people have to uh, conform to in order because the tabernacle of David is also being restored. And the tabernacle of David says this, whosoever will may come. There's no hoops to jump through. Come right into the presence of his glory and worship him. Did you feel that? I did. Come into the presence of the glory of the Lord and worship him. Don't think you can fix yourself up before you come. Let him transform you from the inside out. Come the way you are into his presence and be transformed by his presence. Come worship the king. Amen? Hallelujah.